today's episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts. Playoffs? Are we talking about playoffs? The Vancouver Canucks, 3-1, and one, back from their COVID-19 hiatus, and people are talking playoffs. Is there an actual chance the Vancouver Canucks could make the playoffs? We get into all of that. Brayden Holpe. COVID has given Brayden Holpe Dominic Hasek-esque goaltending superpowers. Is he back on the table for the Seattle Kraken? The Canucks will have to battle a pretty brutal, continuous 3-4 and four schedule the rest of the way. Our guest this week is not other than Daniel Wagner, a.k.a. Pass at the Bulis. And we discuss four games against the Calgary Flames to end the season and why those could be meaningful. And if they are, that's an achievement in and of itself. Should be a good one. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. He's not a person at all. He's a towel. You're a towel. But in Vancouver, mainly it's all about towel power. Are you ready? Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Before you listen any further, I say it every time. Subscribe to the Next Misconduct Network wherever you get podcasts. Not only do you get this show, Power of the Towel, Sipping on a 40 from Kyle Bowen, Silky and Filthy with Kyle Bowen and Trevor Beggs, the boss, the boss man. For one swipe, one tap, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It would help us out a lot to create better audio programming for you in the future. Now for the Vancouver Canucks, 3-1 since their COVID break after a 4-2 win against the Ottawa Senators. And it's got people talking. Playoffs? You ever watch it? If you don't know what that's a reference to, it's the old uh, Jim, I believe his name's Jim Moore, the old coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Playoffs? I mean, we can play it now if you want. But for the rest of the season for the Vancouver Canucks, it's pretty much going to be the old... Just win, baby. We played it, we played it last, last, last year. Just win, baby. Just win, baby. That's really what it's going to come down to the rest of the way for the Vancouver Canucks. Three wins from four games. We're recording this in between the second and third period of the Ottawa game. The Vancouver Canucks are down two wall. And maybe this is, you know, they're down two one. Maybe they lose this game. And maybe this is the, you know, the COVID wall for the Vancouver Canucks. Maybe it is. But three wins in four is a hell of an achievement for this team. Tanner Pearson, one of the better players for the Vancouver Canucks in that game against the Ottawa Senators, end up scoring the game winner, so good for him. But all in all, you know, I, I've mentioned it before, I believe, on, on the SET show. The Vancouver Canucks, these first four games, especially those first two against the Toronto Maple Leafs, playing on adrenaline, excited to be back, excited to be back in the mix. I, I wonder, and I still wonder, if there's a at some point. And if they do... Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. 
Yeah, and if the Vancouver Canucks can't win these two games against the Ottawa Senators on the road, could spell the end of the playoff dream for the Vancouver Canucks. Now, Brayden Holpe, he's been great these past four games for the Vancouver Canucks in which he played. He played in three of them, won all three. Is he back on the table for the Seattle Kraken? I mean, he has to keep it up the rest of the way. But if he is, yeah, sure, he's maybe a possibility. The one issue with Brain Holpe is it's been reported on a lot. Yes, his cap hit is four point something, but his actual dollars, a.k.a. how much you actually have to pay him, is more than his cap, and I believe it's five point something. So that's going to be a, a tough pill to swallow for Seattle if, if they want Brain Holpe. But he's been playing well. I mean, uh, just, just from the game today on Monday as we record this, a couple of great saves. Those games against the Leafs, he, he stole them for, for the Vancouver Canucks. And it, it's going to be interesting the, the rest of the way to see how much they ride Brain Holby because as we're recording this, Thatcher Demko, out day to day. Archer Silovs, even though they spelt his name wrong on the jersey and in the social media posts, managed to spell Jace Howerluck wrong as well. And fair enough, I've, I've spelled... Howard Luck wrong a bunch of times. But, I mean, for, for a jersey, you, you, I would hope you get the name right. Anyways, you know, for, from now on, the Vancouver Canucks, you know, this last four-game stretch was the easy part of their schedule. Four games with a day off in between each. Now it's three and four the rest of the season, continuously. How much does that play a role in the Vancouver Canucks' playoff hopes? Probably a lot. I would say a fair bit. Again, three and four. This stretch right now, the continuous three and four that is starting today as we record this, really is the ultimate test for the Vancouver Canucks. And maybe they prove me wrong. I hope they prove me wrong. But I could foresee a situation where they hit a wall because of the situation they are in right now with the three and four and the COVID and the COVID situation. Anyways, we mentioned it off the top. Our guest this week is none other than Daniel Wagner, a.k.a. Pass It to Bullis. Just a minute. Don't hang up. Hello. You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. Okay, so we now welcome on the Power of the Towel podcast, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts, uh, someone I've wanted to have on this podcast for for a very long time. It's uh, it's Daniel Wagner of Passive Tabulis. In my opinion, one of the OG Vancouver Connects bloggers. Daniel, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. And uh, I'm sure you get this question a lot, but what was it about Jan Bulis that decided to make you name your blog after him? Because I only really have one defining memory of Jan Bulis. It's Tom Larshide. Absolutely hating the guy, thinking uh, to borrow a phrase from Stephen A. Smith that he was a bona fide scrub and didn't belong anywhere in the National Hockey League. What was it about Jan Bulis? I, I, I need to know. I believe the direct Larshai quote was, he's just a dumb hockey player. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there was something about Jan Bulis. He was a bit of an oddball. He was un, like a, a bit weird, a bit different. I actually have some really positive memories of Jan Bulis. Um, I know that his brief time in Vancouver was not that great, but uh, I do have 
one really positive memory uh, was him welcoming Jack Johnson to the NHL. It was Jack Johnson's first NHL game, defenseman for the Los Angeles Kings, this hotshot rookie. He comes flying down the right wing thinking, okay, I'm just going to do what I've done all through my career. It's not going to be a problem. I'm just going to blow past this scrub winger. I don't even know Mm -hmm. who this guy is that I'm about to embarrass. And Jan Bulis just looked at him and he got a little, little smile on his face as he realized what Jack Johnson was about to try to do. And as Jack Johnson tried to beat him down the outside, Jan Bulis just laid a hip into him and gave him the most perfect hip check you will ever see in your life. Sent, sent him uh, behind over D- tea kettle, however you want to say that. It was perfect. And it was just, I-, I love that moment. Now, that's not why the blog is named Pass It to Bulis, but I do have positive memories of Jan Bulis. He also assisted on the Cowan the Brabarian goal. Yes. Like, a classic goal. It was a nice assist. Like he, he made some nice plays. I don't know if people remember. He actually made some nice plays. He just wasn't the quality player that uh, Dave Nonis talked him up to be. Um, the reason the blog is named Pass Tabulus comes from uh, the playoffs where they were up against the Dallas Stars, and it was that first game uh, where it went to four overtime. Yeah, four overtimes. I have a very, very distinct memory of I was. 12 just about to turn 13 at the time and that game yeah it went to it went to overtime and my parents were like well it's uh school tomorrow you have to go to bed and i'm like well the game's just starting overtime like i don't, I don't want to go to bed They're like nope time to bed and i remember staying up the entire night all four overtimes listening to the radio broadcast on cknw on my dad's portable <laughs> i guess walkman radio type thing yeah that's that's amazing i was watching it uh, I was watching it with some friends at uh, at university. Um, I, I was working for the university at the time, I believe, but we we're watching it uh, just all together. And I remember we were talking about, you know, who's going to score in overtime? Who's going to be the overtime hero? And of course, people were saying like, well, it's going to be Trevor Linden, you know, classic veteran player is going to come through in the clutch. Mm-hmm. That's Linden all over. Or it's going to be one of the Sedins. Uh, it's going to be Kessler or what's it? Yeah. Like there's all the, all these people throwing names around. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's going to be the most unlikely person of all. It's going to be Jan Bulis. And people were like, that is the stupidest pick you could possibly make. <laughs> How could you possibly pick Jan Bulis to score the overtime goal? But then like a, a full overtime passes. And like in that overtime, people started jokingly going, oh yeah, they should pass it to Bulis. Every time he stepped on the ice, oh, yeah, he's going to score. They should pass it to Bulas, right, Wagner? I was like, yeah, they should. And then the second overtime came around, and no one was still scoring, and people started going, you know what? They should pass it to Bulas. I mean, no one else is scoring. It's going to be What do you have to lose at this point? What do you have to lose? By the third overtime, he's not even on the ice. It's like, get Bulas on the ice. They got to pass it to Bulas. And finally, the fourth overtime, like people are pretty much just begging at this point, just pass it to Bulas, please won't someone pass it to Bulas? and then it wasn't yeah. even Bulas. it was Henrik Sedin like classic uh Henrik to, or no Daniel scene Henrik to Daniel in mm. overtime but still the, the phrase pass it to Bulas got stuck in my head and when Harrison Mooney and I were talking about blog names and we were thinking about obscure Canucks that we could possibly name it after the phrase pass it to Bulas, pass it to Bulas popped into my head and it's kind of a celebration of uh, those lesser known Canucks that for some reason stick with you. 
Uh, those those guys who maybe aren't the best players, but for some reason you love them anyways. And and it helps that Jan Bulis just kind of has a bit of a goofy face. Yeah, absolutely. I pro- that probably helped with uh, with the blog titles. Well, so you started around that time, like 2007, right? Uh, no, actually, it was around 2010. It was a, it was oh, okay. a few years later. Um, my like Harrison and I, we had we were watching Canucks games together all the time. And we both were in jobs that didn't involve what we love to do, which was writing. And we were talking about, well, what can we do? What, how can we get started writing again? And we talked about maybe we could write a play together. We could write a, a book. We could write a screenplay. We could write... And as we're doing this, we're watching Canucks games all the time. And we went, why aren't we just writing about the Canucks? <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, so we made plans and started the blog. And it started at a really good time because the season that we really took it seriously was the 2010-2011 season, which, if you may recall, was a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we ended up uh, just kind of taking off and Twitter was kind of becoming really big with uh, Canucks fans at the time too. So took off from there and we pitched the Vancouver sun about joining them. Cause they didn't really have a, a dedicated Canucks blog. Not like the, the province had first the, uh, the current blog, the yeah, current blog. Yep. And then, then when they left, they did the Legion of blog to, to replace them. Um, and so we pitched to the sun, Hey, bring us in. And they were like, well, we'll try you for the playoffs. And it turned out the 2011 playoffs were pretty good. So <laughs> we, we kind of showed that we could bring in a bit of a different audience uh, and, and get readers. And uh, so they, they signed us up and it's been my career from there, which is pretty uh, wild. The, the rest, as they say, is history. But uh, I, I want to ask you a bit about like that early time blogging, because this was, you know, we are approaching, you know, a decade from the 2011 playoff run from around 2010, 2011, when you started. And I just remember at the time, like obviously social media existed back then. Like it wasn't the dinosaur age, you know, there, there was social media, but at the same time, it was, pro- it's, it was hard. I just remember back then being a fan to, you know, find out about, let's say what's going on in the, in the AHL on the Canucks farm team or finding about the prospects. Like I can remember watching in the YVR lounge, right about to go to Europe with my family for vacation, Cody Hodgson, get drafted and he was obviously like first round 10th overall then thinking well i'm probably not going to see him again until you know the world juniors if he if he makes the team and that was you know the big first round picks like good luck trying to find out any information on the prospects that were drafted like third round or later like there wasn't anyone back then covering you know prospects you know on on a daily basis giffing all their big plays like there is now right like what, what was it like to to blog about the vancouver canucks back you know let's say a decade plus ago when you had to really dig to, to find some information about prospects or what's going on in the AHL. yeah it was definitely a bit of a different time um there was a lot of independent blogs that were starting up at the time because the canucks were really popular there was a lot of people wanting to write about them i remember it was tough to get people to to read your stuff we would I remember we would send stuff to Nux Misconduct going, hey, add us, oh, to your, okay. add us to your links, you know, add us to to this stuff. We would try to get people reading our stuff on the, the Canucks uh, forums on the on the boards there or hockey boards and all, all these all these different places where you're trying to get readers. Twitter is the one that really took off for us. And that's that really helped a lot uh, to get people to our stuff. 
and it helps that Twitter was kind of focused on writing, you know, so we could be quippy, we could be funny, little jokes here and there, and people would go, oh, okay, I want to follow these guys and read what they have to say during a hockey game. Um, but it's true, there, there wasn't a lot of in-depth information on prospects or anything like that. Um, one of the things that I really like to do uh, was research the prospects and that's where kind of my university degree actually came in handy was learning how to research things, learning how to look up information, find stuff on the internet that maybe others couldn't find. And I would even like, I would write about the prospects and uh, I would also write about invitees to the Canucks training camps, guys that no one had heard of. And I'd go, okay, well, who are these guys? There's got to be something written about them somewhere. And maybe when they were in junior, someone would have written an article about them in their hometown or uh, their university would have some profile on them. And I'd just research and I'd try to find highlights anywhere I could. And I'd write about these invitees that no one had heard of and that no one would ever hear of again, except for a few <laughs> of them maybe would would uh, get lucky and, and make it to the next level. Like Antoine Roussel was one of them. He was an invitee to a Canucks camp and ended up becoming a, a bona fide NHLer. Um, but yeah, it, it was definitely different. Now you have guys like Chris Faber are, are with Canucks Army. They're covering everything. Like if Pod Colson is playing a game in the KHL, he's watching it yeah. and he's gifing it. And he's, if he sneezes on the bench, dude, there's a, there's a gif of it like 20 seconds later. Yeah. So it's definitely, there's a lot more information now. Um, one of the things when uh, we were starting out, the blog was going like, we're not going to be probably breaking a lot of news. That's not really going to be our thing. We're probably not going to be first to stories, but we're going to try to be best to stories. We're going to try to write the best take on whatever was happening, or if it's going to be the same take as someone else, we were going to write it better. That was always the goal. Yeah. I don't know if we always succeeded, but that was the goal was to just try to write something in an entertaining way that people would enjoy to read. And there was, and there were times where we did find things that other people didn't. And that was always very rewarding. And yeah, uh, it was definitely a different environment uh to write in now it's now i'm now i'm mainstream media <laughs> which yeah, is you're a big j think. journalist now you're not a, you're not a blog boy you are an official big j journalist yeah part of part of the professional hockey writers association what's all what's that all about i remember we used to poke fun at the mainstream media and now we are them uh-oh <laughs> part of the thing of about past its bullets i remember vividly from your time at, at the vancouver sun was the videos like the parody videos like what was it like pitching those videos to the, to the vancouver sun <laughs> which, which one was the first one because i remember the sedinary oh, one gosh. which was which was i think the black black street parody yes and there was yeah. also the uh the i need benito those are the two ones i like really i really really remember but like which, which was the first one do you remember what do you remember about pitching like that first one to the vancouver sun so I think how that got started actually was during the lockout um, when uh, Harrison was writing for Puck Daddy as well for Yahoo. Um, and I ended up writing for the score, uh, their blog backhand shelf. So we were both writing like about the Canucks, but also about the NHL in general. And because of the lockout, there was nothing to write about and <laughs> yeah. so we just started like coming up with these ideas and and he did one for puck daddy uh, lockout man i believe which was a, a parody of rocket man um <laughs> trying i'm trying to think if that was the first one um 
it might have been I, I gosh I'd have to think about it for a bit I think I actually wrote like an article that was uh that kind of collected a bunch of them the Sedinary one was lost for years which was unfortunate but uh managed to find the audio and bring it back yeah I was um, watching it just before we we started this interview it's uh it's kind of uh it was uploaded I guess last year because it's not the same video I remember watching back no. in the day but it is the same audio Obviously. Yeah, the video the video was lost, but I, I managed to bring the audio back and uh, managed to rescue it. Um, shoot, I, yeah, I wish I could remember which one was the first one that we did. We did a bunch of them. Um, I remember that I oh, call the union. That was the that was the big one that uh, Harrison did for Puck Daddy. And, and when when he was doing those, I was usually the one recording him and and doing the production behind the scenes on it um but yeah i think call the union that was that was the one that he did after lockout man that really took off it was a a parody of robin's call your girlfriend and he (laughs) he basically tried to recreate the entire music video which was robin just dancing by herself and so (laughs) that that kind of took off and then we did like one together where we were trying to jokingly come up with the uh the follow-up to call the union uh and it was based on this guy if you remember do you remember the brian burke lawsuit where he sued a bunch of people on the internet no i don't i (laughs) know oh man uh so yeah he tried to sue a bunch of people on these uh hockey forums because they i I can't remember even what they were saying was like defamation or something or they had said something false about him so he tried to sue these people and one of them that was named in the lawsuit was Pooner Man <laughs> because they, they just had their oh usernames God. on these yeah. internet forums. It's, so we basically did like a dozen different parodies around the name Pooner Man just as, as like kind of a mockumentary style as if we were uh, a behind the music thing of trying to find the perfect parody. So yeah, that one was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, and then we just kept doing those. I've done a few since uh, since Harrison's left the blog. Um, just a, a few different ones, like uh, let's see, there was one about Jim Benning's drafting. I can't yes, remember it, the uh, yeah. there was a parody of Clint Eastwood that I called Jim Draft Good. Uh, one that I, I did one of Good Grief by Bastille called Real Good Grief, just about how the Canucks could not score. Yeah. Um, and then when the Sedines left, I did a parody of losing my religion. I was uh, losing the Sedine twins. Awesome. So, so that's something like you 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 enjoy doing alongside the writing is kind of like creating. Like, are, do you have a musical background at all? You must uh, yeah. if you're creating these great if you're creating these great parodies. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I I'm a musician as well. I'm a songwriter. Uh, I'm actually after this season is over, I'm going to launch a Kickstarter to release my first album of nice of pop punk and which is going to be fun uh it's it's also really terrifying because these are you know it's it's weird to put yourself out there in a very different way um so yeah i i'm a musician i've been i played piano for over a decade and then i picked up the guitar and just kind of took to it so uh yeah <laughs> uh i also like one of the i just did a parody actually on the weekend of of the ducktales theme song um called nucktails uh so that's just that's just on twitter if you go to my twitter pasitabulus um you can find that there but yeah so like i I, i've played music pretty much my entire life and so i love to sing 
love to play guitar. And uh, I did some recording classes in university. So I, I have, and I have some of the gear to properly record things, which is uh, how I've basically recorded my entire album that is going to be on my Kickstarter in, gosh, a little over a month. That's terrifying. Okay, well, uh, I'm looking forward to the Kickstarter, the pop punk kind of. It's like a pop punk album, you said, right? It was kind of. Yeah, yeah. Like I was that. in a, I was in a pop punk band uh, quite a long time ago, time ago called The Never Known, uh, which was a terribly ironic name because we were never known by anybody. <laughs> um, and just uh, over the past, uh, gosh, it's probably been like over five years. I've been just recording those songs piecemeal just anytime I can uh, which is tough with a full-time job and three kids so just whenever I can I've been recording bits and pieces of these songs that I wrote over a decade ago yeah and now I'm going to release them to the world and it's terrifying because <laughs> songwriting is something that's very personal where when I'm writing about the Canucks there, you know I put a bit of my personality in it but it's not as personal as as songwriting is for me yeah, and you know, usually I, I record this podcast out of the uh, out of the post up studios, and I, I do get to meet a lot of musicians, mostly you know, people in the hidden local hip hop space, and it, it does take a, a fair bit of courage to put yourself out there, like the, you know, to put yourself out there with with that music. It's something I always admire when I meet these people. And we'll eventually you know release the video of this, but as you can see, I've got like four different, three different guitars <laughs> actually, one bass back there. That white one right there is actually a uh, my high school had a. Uh, had a guitar building course. So I, that one is actually a, an original Nick Bondi right there. It nice. plays. Okay. It play. It plays. Okay. <laughs> if you crank the distortion a bit, it kind of gets all wonky. I did not do the wiring. The teacher does the wiring. So you can blame him, but yeah, <laughs> I, I used to, I used to dabble in music as well. Nice. Nice. Uh, that's awesome. I, I didn't, for some reason, I didn't even look behind you. I see. Oh, cool. yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. It's uh, like, three of them and a, and a base right there. It's, it's been a while. Like you said, like it's, it's, uh, it's hard to find the time sometimes to mm -hmm. do stuff like that. But just one more question about the blog before I want to get to, you know, current connect stuff. Sure. You know, obviously it, it was Jason Botchford who, who, you know, popularized the, the nickname Bulis for you. He always referred to you as, as Bulis. If you knew down the road when you started the blog, you'd be referred to as Bulis. Would you have changed the blog to the, the blog title to something, you know, a bit, like with a more popular prayer, like pass it to Naslin, pass it to Kessler. <laughs> so you could have, could have been referred to as like as Nasly or Kess instead of Bulis. No, I, I think there's something about Bulis, the, the, how funny the name sounds and how kind of goofy he looked as a person. No offense to Jan Bulis. I know he's heard of the blog. I, <laughs> I don't Have wanna... you talked to him at all? I've never talked to him. Oh. Um, he did mention it in an interview. Someone asked him about it and he said he, he knew about it and apparently he was okay with it. So, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, I remember Botch would get on my case about uh, uh, changing my, my Twitter handle to something to do with my name because he, he said, you know, like, you know, you got to get your name out there. You got to be Daniel Wagner. You don't want to just be Pasitabulas. And I'm just like, I don't know. For me, like, Pasitabulus is is the brand you know that's the I don't want to change that so he he kind of got on my case and he would call me Bulis just to be like oh yeah you know that's what I'm going to call you if you're not going to change your Twitter handle um yeah huh, it's kind of tough talking about about botch um 
I remember how excited he was when I <clears throat> first told him that I was uh, starting to write about hockey full time. Um, because for a long time, I was just doing it part time on, on the side of my desk with, uh, with my other job. Um, and uh, when I, when I mentioned it to him, like I was at a, at a Canucks prospect camp practice or something like that. And I saw him and he was one of the first people that I told, and he was so excited. And I mean, he, he was partly excited just for me, but he was partly excited that there would be another writer there asking questions um, just because like he, he had seen so many uh, outlets just kind of kill their Canucks coverage or uh, even the province and the Vancouver sun. They went from having, you know, a bunch of people at games to maybe having one beat reporter at each game or two at the most. And so like he, he'd seen so many uh, writers just kind of leaving that the idea that someone would hire a writer full time to cover the Canucks was, was just so exciting to him. Um, and, and he, he gave me a lot of really good advice. And I, I remember the first Canucks media availability, I came in, I had my notebook and I was going to ask a question of every single player that went through there because I didn't know when the next time was that I was going to be able to get into the room to ask questions. And he just went, listen to the radio and you'll hear all of the answers to your questions. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to be the things that uh, just kind of define Canucks talk for the next week. And he was like, when you ask, you, you've got these really good questions, don't ask them where everybody else can hear them. Because <laughs> that was one of the things that he did was he would just, when he was in the room, he would go to people that no one else was talking to. And he would ask them questions and he would get answers that no one else had access to. And so when he was writing the Provies, he would have, uh, he would have these quotes that no one else would have. And he kind of taught me that, that, you know, you, if you have a unique question, if you have a good question that no one else is going to ask, and you're going to get an answer that no one else would get, don't do it when the cameras are on. <laughs> don't do it when other people are recording for the radio, because then your quote that only you could get, now everyone has it. And I mean, that, that was a, a huge piece of advice that he gave me early on that really really helped a lot um now it's kind of tough because the uh, zoom calls with are, are just you know that's all we get in terms of media availability and whatever questions you ask everybody is going to hear those answers because everybody's all there together but uh eventually when the rooms open back up um i'll, I'll definitely remember what botch told me and uh make sure that i I get those unique quotes. Um, yeah. That's one of the things that people don't really realize about, you know, media having availability, being able to get access to the locker room. People go, Oh, why do the media need that? It's like, well, if you liked the work that Jason Botchford did getting unique quotes, getting stories that no one else could get, it only happened because the rooms were open and he could talk to the, he could talk to the players one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so yeah. Uh, that's my uh that's those are my some some of my jason botchford memories that yeah came out of nowhere sorry about that <laughs> no no i i love hearing stories from people who you know work and interacted with jason botchford on a daily basis i love hearing those stories because obviously you know i was a fan of the work i consumed his work i read every provies you know that was the go-to no offense to i watch this game but <laughs> you know the, the provies was the go-to game recap after those games and i think 
you know, a lot, for a lot of lean years uh, of the Vancouver Canucks, which you could argue is still going on. Uh, it's uh, it was the kind of the go-to recap after a lot of those games. And, you know, I, I can tell you uh, my, one of my good friends, like that's how he stayed connected with the Vancouver Canucks through all those years. He's off doing his own thing and he stayed connected with the team and he kept following team through the provies. And I think that's a, that's indicative of, of a lot of fans out there over these last, you know, you know, over those seasons was they stayed connected with that team through the province because it, it was, there was always, when one thing I always liked about it and we'll get, and we'll get to the current connects now, but one thing I always enjoyed about the province was there was always a nugget in there that you would never get any anywhere else. And that was really the best part. And it goes to show like what he taught you uh, about, you know, being away from ever all the cameras and asking those questions there. It was always kind of the best part of the province, but let's move on to this current iteration of the Vancouver Canucks playoffs or can we can we start talking about the playoffs when playoffs. does this become a playoffs playoffs is when can we start calling this a playoff race now in, I, in a week from now when, when you, wins the bar if you don't call it a playoff race now you might never get a chance to call it a playoff race <laughs> just because this could go sideways in a hurry um so you may as well call it one while you can uh i mean who saw the Montreal Canadiens going on the slide that they've gone on? Uh, yeah. That's the main reason why this, that, that anyone's even talking about this. The Canucks playoff odds actually improved <laughs> during their yeah. outbreak when they weren't playing any games because the Canadians just kept losing. So, I mean, yeah, call it a playoff race. Why not? The players are going to call it a playoff race. They're invested. They want to win. Um, that's the thing. They're, they're never going to give up as long as there's even a chance they're going to go, okay, just take this one game at a time, win this game. And then we just move on to the next one and win the next one. Um, sure. Call it a playoff race. Why not? It's more fun that way. Um, there's, I, I have some mixed feelings on it because I still worry about the player's health. Quite frankly, I have in the back of my mind, every time I'm watching a game, I'm going, should they be playing this game? Should should Tyler Mott, who was having brain fog and like concussion-like symptoms from a, a respiratory illness, should he be playing right now? But it's not my call. Tyler Mott thinks he's ready to play. The doctors say he's ready to play. So, okay, put him on the ice. And if they're going to play, they may as well play to win. So, yeah. I yeah, it's a playoff race. Absolutely. Yeah. Like uh, they could catch the Canadians, especially if the Canadians keep crashing and burning the way they are. Yeah. And you, you meant you hit the nail on the head. The reason the Canucks are in a, in a playoff race right now is because Montreal choked away whatever advantage they really had while the Canucks were on that three week break. Like they just lost two, uh, two straight games against Calgary, a team that's trailing them. If they lose, we're recording this for everyone. So everyone knows on uh, Monday afternoon before the for Ottawa game, if Calgary beats Montreal tonight, if sweeps them, then we are they're in the thick of a playoff race between those two teams. And it's going to be interesting. Um, I mentioned this on the SET show when I was uh, on their show last night. Uh, I, I, the upcoming schedule of the Vancouver Canucks, like this is going to be, like the, these past four games are the easy part of the schedule. Now from now from now on, you've got three games every four nights, and that's going to be really tough, I, I think, for this team, just because of you know the whole COVID situation. I know you're at the game uh, Thursday night, so I don't know if, if you caught this, but on the broadcast, the, the Ole Levy ices the puck, 
And you know, they're all standing around waiting for the faceoff, and they zoom in on Ole Levy. They have a close-up shot of Ole Levy right after they ice, ice the puck, and he looked absolutely gassed. Like he looked like he was about to, I don't know, like throw up. Just pat. He looked. He looked absolutely like he was about to like keel over. Like it, it looked bad. And I think we're. I think these past four games, they're off the three and one, especially those first two games against Toronto. It really looked like the Vancouver Canucks were playing on adrenaline. Like they were amped up to go. They haven't played hockey for three weeks. And these are professional hockey players. They're, they're wired differently than, than you or I they're, they're They want to be out on the ice and they want to compete. And that, that's how they got to where they are in the national hockey leagues being Uber competitors. And I, I just think, you know, three games every four nights, the rest of the season is, is going to be a, a tall task. But if Montreal keeps on uh, choking away, then they got a shot. I, I would consider it a success. The Canucks have four games to end the season against the Calgary fans, a four-game series. If those games mean something, I would consider that a success for the season. Considering what they, this team went to. Massive success. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm not oh, even yeah. anticipating that much. Uh, for me, just like everyone staying healthy for the rest of the season is a success at this point. Um, it, it's such an odd situation because really they have no business being in the playoffs uh, given how they started the season, given um, how they played in February, just, uh, just brutal hockey. Um, but they do have a chance. I, I think right now, as we're heading into tonight's games, they they're, they have five games in hand on the Canadians and they're only eight points back. If they win those five games in hand, if they like get five extra wins or even, uh, four wins and an overtime loss they're right there they they are ahead of the canadians which is wild to think because no one could have seen that coming given how they started the season um but quite frankly their schedule would be impossible for a healthy team that's that's the real real issue here is that they've got too many games in too many nights and even if they were 100% healthy they would just be getting just dead tired. Like the second night of these back-to-backs that they're going to be playing throughout the rest of the season, they could get ugly. Like you, you again, you see healthy teams that are at the start of the season look absolutely gassed at the end of three games and four nights. And they're going to be getting playing three games and four nights. Like every game is going to be their third game in four nights, practically like that's an insane schedule. So as much as it's nice to talk about the playoffs, um, I think expectations have to be kept reasonable. They have to be kept low because really all that matters here is the health of the players long-term that they don't do anything that is going to jeopardize their health. And, and I mean, jeopardize anyone else's health too, because you saw Alex Edler when he was tired, he stuck out a leg and took out a guy's knee. You know, like yeah. tired hockey. Sorry, players. that's uh, that's uh, serial cheap shot artist Alex Edler to all the uh, <laughs> delusional Leafs fans out there who thinks he's uh, like the Swedish Matt Cook. Sorry, continue. I just want to add that he's just so violent. I, I think we yeah, there's such a just not a dirty player. <laughs> oh man, you know uh, that that's the same thing. Like like Alex Burrows was obviously a, a bit more of a cheap shot artist than than Edler was, but even him, like. When when people would call him dirty, I know Canucks fans would go, "What are you talking about? Like he's he's not dirty." It's like, well, you know, what other fans see is not what Canucks fans see. 
if you Google Alex Edler knee on knee and you see two incidences of him doing that, incidences? Anyways. Uh, Sounds right. <laughs> sure. Uh, if you see Alex Edler go knee on knee with two different guys and injure them, you go, wow, this guy's dirty. Meanwhile, as a Canucks fan, you've seen you know, the eight intervening years between those two <laughs> incidents and, you know, nothing really to speak of in terms of cheap shots or dirty play. And you go, no, he's not a dirty player. Are you kidding me? The same with Alex Burroughs. You, you, you know, you look at him and you go, oh, he pulled a guy's hair. He bit a guy's finger. He did this and this and this. Meanwhile, Canucks fans are going, no, 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 you don't understand. You haven't seen the 80 games here where he didn't do anything. <laughs> And so Canucks, you, you end up with a different view of your own players. It's the same like the Bruins with Matt, Brad Marchand. Like, of course, Brad Marchand is, is dirty and cheap. You know, we've seen it. But for Boston Bruins fans, they just see the intervening games where nothing dirty happens. And they go, no, he's just a clutch goal scorer. He's, he's a great player. He's not cheap and dirty. What are you talking about? Yeah. I don't know. It's always the, the perspective shift on that is always... Well, it just goes to show the the tribalism of, of sports and sports <laughs> fandom, right? Like it, that's that's you know the defining aspect of being a sports fan. It's you know us against you, and that's really it. Feels like you know a lot of these debates just circle around that. But I want to ask about actually being in Rogers Arena because this is a two part question. I was doing, I was actually looking through past episodes. You're actually the first person we've had on since the beginning of this NHL season who has actually been inside Rogers Arena. <laughs> In, in general, just not only the cover game, but actually been inside. We had Dan Murphy on earlier uh, this year, but that was preseason before the season started. What's a uh, two-part question, I guess. What's it like watching these games in a, a completely pretty much empty arena? And have you noticed anything from being there that maybe either the broadcast hasn't picked up and, you know, you maybe have noticed that other people haven't in, this could be like post COVID, you know, players looking gassed on the bench or what have you, or just in general. Well, it's, it's definitely an eerie feeling, especially like before they start pumping in the crowd noise. Um, it, it's just, it, it is so empty. <laughs> it is very <laughs> odd. Um, like early on in the season, it almost felt like you were attending practices or like a, a practice scrimmage. Because like the crowd noise is pretty quiet inside the building, at least at the level uh, at the 400 level, which is where we're watching from. Um, and so it, it just kind of feels like you're watching two teams just having an exhibition game with no fans in the building. And, and you, it takes you a second to realize like, no, no, they're playing harder than they should for an exhibition game. <laughs> what, are, what are they doing? They should take it easy. Um it's it's very odd um the the crowd noise the fake crowd noise can't really replicate a lot of the experience um there would be way more people going whoa at like nothing yeah. plays uh, because just from whatever <laughs> angle they're watching from a puck that went like two feet wide looked like it was going to go in and so a whole bunch of people would erupt from that part of the arena uh like it, you, you definitely miss something when there's no fans in the building. Um, the players have talked about it too. How like JT Miller talked about how there's no momentum swings in the in the sense that you would get with with fans in the building, where you, you know the fans start to 
rise and the crowd noise starts to get louder and louder and the, the players start to go, yeah, we're doing this. Here we go. You know, like anytime that the Canucks had a comeback and the crowd was just still making the same sounds, it just felt wrong. And you'd also lose some of the, uh, some of the joy of the small plays, a guy blocking a shot on the penalty kill fans would clap and cheer for that. And instead you, you get nothing, <laughs> you know, or after like a long two minute penalty kill where some guy was a warrior, you'd, and everybody would like be on their feet and cheering. You don't get any of that. And, and you really lose something um, in terms of noticing things that I, I mean, anytime that you go to a game, you notice things that you wouldn't notice on the broadcast. Um, I, that's one of the reasons why I enjoy covering the game in person whenever I can. I can't always, um, you know, I've got three kids. I got a, <laughs> we got one vehicle. Um, so I, I do cover a lot of games just on TV, uh, just from watching it at home. But the things that you notice in person there, there's things like a guy who goes to the bench a little slower than you'd like for a line change or just players who get tied up with each other behind the play and there's maybe some animosity between two players that blows up later in the game that you wouldn't have seen at all if you were just watching it on tv and you'd be wondering why are these guys at each other's throats it's like oh well you know 10 minutes ago <laughs> they were behind the play like yapping at each other and and pushing each other on their way back to the bench um one of my favorite things though that i noticed uh was just a, a tiny thing uh it was nils hoaglander uh at at the, his defensive blue line and he just made a really nice play to protect the puck and to get it out of the zone. Now you could see that on the TV broadcast because obviously they're following the puck, but what the, the TV broadcast would have missed was that his entire bench went, yeah, that's the way to do it. Hoggy. Yeah. <laughs> like, and they started like cheering him on for this nothing play where all he did was just, you know, a puck came around the boards and he picked it up off the boards, protected it from, a player who was trying to check him and then made an, a little play to get it out of the zone. Um, and just seeing his teammates like cheer him on for this nothing play was, was just kind of neat. And it followed things that I'd heard from Travis green throughout the season where he was talking about, you know, as much as he loves Hoaglander, he loves his, uh, his intensity, the way that he works and, and all these different things. He was like, well, there's still little things that we're trying to teach him. Every single time you'd ask him about Hoaglander, he'd went, he'd go, you know, there's still things we're trying to teach him about being an NHLer and and these little things that you've got to do to to make it in the NHL. But we're, you know, we're patient with him. And if you were just listening to Green and watching Hoaglander on TV, you'd go, what are you talking about? Like he's a great player. There's nothing that he does wrong. Like he's so good. And it's like, no, when you watch it you know, especially when you're in person, you do see there's little things that he misses in the neutral zone or the, in the defensive zone, little bits of positioning, or maybe making a, a bit of a risky pass in the defensive zone that you go, okay, yeah, there's things that he needs to work on to become a complete player and he's working on them and he's getting better at them. And that was one of those payoff moments where you see him do that little thing, <laughs> that one little thing to protect the puck safely get the puck out of the defensive zone and you could see his teammates all all saw it they knew that that's something he needed to work on and they cheered and that just shows how much they love him as a player they love him as a person and they know that he's getting better and that's that was really cool to see so how do we how do we you know 
judge or cover this. And I don't consider myself a, a big J journalist like yourself. <laughs> I, I don't consider myself much of a writer. I occasionally write for the Nexus Conduct website whenever, you know, I want to dip the virtual pen, but I get, I get my takes on stuff like this, but so how, how do we judge this team or how do we cover this team for the rest of the season, knowing what this team went through? You know, this was by all estimation, the worst COVID outbreak in North American professional sports this season. And I appreciated, you know, people like yourself asking the, the questions at these media availabilities and the players being honest in terms of what their symptoms were and how they dealt through COVID-19. I thought that was, that was very, very, very important considering, you know, how high profile the Vancouver Canucks are, but how, how do we grade this team for the rest of the season? Cause you can't do it, it as, as a normal way as you usually would, because obviously these guys are still suffering or, or some of them are still probably struggling with, you know, the ramifications of COVID-19. So how, how, how do you judge? I, I've tried to be a bit more sympathetic personally. I, I've tried to be like, okay, nope, no, nope, that was a bad turnover. <laughs> I'm not going to criticize it. Maybe there's something else there, but like, how, how do you, you know, cover this team? How do you judge this team based on these 16, 17 games that are left? I, I Well, I can't remember who said it. One of the Canucks said it, who he basically just said, none of us are a hundred percent. Like that's something. I think that was Demko mind. after one of the games, right? Yeah. I think, that, yeah. yeah. Like none of us, none of us are a hundred percent. And that just tells you so much. I mean, obviously throughout a season, there's going to be bits and like little injuries here and there where, yeah, nobody's really 100% at this time of the season. But when he said it, it it hit different, you know, like this was, you know, this was a, a very difficult time for all of the players, even the ones who didn't get COVID, you know, they're off the ice for three weeks in the middle of the season. Their families are getting sick. You know, like that's gotta be, that's gonna take a pretty heavy toll on the guys who do have families, right? Like, yeah, for like mentally, that's, that's gotta be really challenging. Um, and you know they they are they are happy to get back on the ice. They are happy to get back playing. Um, you know when you're on the ice, you can kind of dismiss those other concerns, but maybe you can't dismiss them entirely because you know your family is your family. You know, especially for uh, for players with with little kids who I, I know, like Alex Adler talked about his daughter getting it and how they had to quarantine in the basement together uh, so that you know, the rest of their family didn't get sick. Like that's tough. That's very difficult. And so that's like, there's the mental strain that you have to keep in mind. And then there's also the physical strain uh, where even it, like uh, JT Miller, who didn't get COVID talked about how his lungs were just burning when he got, got back on the ice. And I mean, he probably got back up to speed a little faster than maybe some of the other players who had symptoms and maybe they, maybe they are still experiencing some fatigue. Uh, we've heard from players in other professional sports where it took them six months or more to really feel like they were back at the conditioning level that they expected to be at. Um, and that's tough. Like, and, and it's tough to really judge in a sport like hockey too, where, you know, you, a guy goes out there for 30 seconds then gets back off the ice Um you know, maybe he's okay that shift, but then later on in the game, maybe there's just a bit of a brain, bit of brain fog and he makes a, a poor decision and turns over the puck or hits a guy away from the puck then takes a penalty. Like we, we don't know what is, you know, because they're experiencing some sort of setback because of the COVID outbreak and how much of it is just because the Canucks aren't a very good team. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. <clears throat> and so you you have to be like empathetic and go like, okay, how would I write about this before the COVID outbreak? Should I change how I write about this now? Um, you know, if, if there was a giveaway before the outbreak, we would go, okay, that was a bad giveaway. You know, does this player do this all the time? What are his underlying stats that kind of show that maybe he's not good at protecting the puck or whatever else we might say. Um, but now we look at it and we go, oh, you know, you'd be forgiving of him. And maybe that's condescending too. That's one thing that you also want to keep in mind. Maybe the players don't want to be treated at any differently. Maybe they'd want to receive the same level of criticism and praise as before. Um, and the other thing that you want to kind of avoid is to make the Canucks kind of your inspiration porn, I believe was the term that was used on Twitter by, by a few people going like, you know, Oh, it's so inspiring that they're back on the ice. It's like, well, you know, yeah, should they even be on the ice? They the even be on yeah. the ice? Like they're not there to inspire you by like how they've gone through a respiratory illness. Um, and I think that's kind of a troubling part of hockey culture when we praise people so much for playing through injuries and going through things that they maybe shouldn't um, where you've seen how like the, there's a painkiller epidemic in, in professional hockey. Uh, Ryan Kessler talked about it, like how, yeah, he played through injury, but he was <laughs> taking a lot of painkillers to do it. And it caused a lot of problems later in his life. Um, not even later in his life, just like even by the end of his hockey career. So it, it's it's tough because it's part of hockey culture to play through things and to want to see those players as inspiring Absolutely. for doing so. But they are putting their health at risk. And maybe they're putting their health at risk without all the information that they need in order to do so. You know, when we talk about concussions in the past, players going through stuff where, you know, they get back on the ice after having, quote, their bell rung. You know, and really what they had was a concussion. And later in life, they're experiencing... Uh, symptoms that are related to those concussions and they just didn't have all the information to take the best possible care of their health. So that's my major concern in these last games is we don't know what the long-term implications of having COVID are, especially for professional athletes that are putting through their bodies through the ringer and, and playing a, a very difficult sport that has a lot of bursts of energy and putting a lot of wear and tear on your lungs what are going to be the long-term consequences we don't know i'm not sure that doctors and scientists have a full grasp of it either and so definitely the athletes don't have a full grasp of how this could potentially affect them down the road and so they're operating under this assumption that they always do that they're going to be healthy that they can handle this that they can play through it they're professional hockey players, they're gritty, they're tough, but maybe they're not going to be okay. And that's really tough to have in the back of your mind as you're watching these guys play these games. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I got two more questions for you because I know you got to get going shortly. Uh, one thing from this COVID outbreak that I think the Canucks are going to have to wrestle with is the off ice implications. You had someone like Elliot Freeman, uh, insinuate on Saturday headlines that I think the phrase he used was, you know, fences have to be mended, bridges have to be repaired. You know, it seemed like there was a big disconnect between the players and ownership management because of this COVID outbreak due to the communications. Like, is there is there something there? Like, are the Canucks going to have to 
suffer long-term ramifications because of this COVID outbreak and not just about, you know, the player's health, which is obviously a big concern, but off the ice as well, because you mentioned it, like this, this outbreak put stress on a lot of people, not just the players themselves, but the the whole kind of ecosystem surrounding the players. Well, I think an ongoing issue with this management group with, uh, with Jim Benning is a lack of communication or communication issues in general. Um, and I wrote about this for, for the paper. Uh, Vancouver's Awesome has a print edition that comes out weekly. And I think it was last week's print edition. I wrote about these communication issues that, that Benning has. And it was supposed to go out in my email newsletter and I forgot to send it. So maybe I should do that. <laughs> Whoops. Um, <laughs> I'll get on top of that. Uh, but yeah, there, there are some communication issues. Um, whether you look at how Jim Benning talks to the media and, you know, he doesn't have to be a, 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 the most eloquent speaker. That's not the issue. It's that there, there just doesn't seem to be any clear message coming from the management group. Uh, there's communication issues when it comes to free agents, as we saw last season, how there was a lack of communication with uh, Tyler Toffoli, uh, Chris Tanev, Troy Stetcher, where like players who were leaving like Tanev and Stetcher felt disrespected by the lack of communication, the lack of understanding of where they fit in the Canucks plans or if they fit in them at all. And where they kind of pushed Tanev into the background and then like tried to come back to him at the 11th hour going, Oh, well, actually we do want you. Like when you're talking about a guy who's played his entire career in Vancouver, it's pretty disrespectful to not have that level of communication. Um, And then there's communication issues uh, internally we there's there's been rumblings uh heard from previous staff members who have worked for under Benning is that there's just not a lot of communication between departments uh not, not a lot of communication between Benning and uh and the scouting staff even um I think one, something that's emblematic of that is uh the Tyler like trading Tyler Madden for Tyler Toffoli one of the things that Benning said at the time is like well we don't see Madden as a center and he's is a center <laughs> like their, <laughs> their entire scouting staff would tell you it's like no he's played as a center his entire career maybe he won't be maybe he could play as a winger in the nhl but like if you're saying we don't see madden as a center well who's the we you know when you're entire when you're in the rest of your staff see him as a center then it's just you and so that that, that just kind of betrays a lack of communication um and so I can absolutely believe that there was a lack of communication between Benning, the, the management and the players when it came to COVID. Um, and I think what happened was there is that uh, the Canucks were looking at this proposed schedule and they were going, we're playing on Friday. Have you seen us? <laughs> we're not ready to play on Friday. And, and what the NHL and NHLPA had agreed on was that if they did their testing on Thursday morning, and the doctors went, well, these guys aren't ready to play. They would shuffle the schedule to what we have currently, which was starting the season on Sunday or starting their games back on Sunday. Uh, this two, two day break to kind of get the players back to, to where they could play again. But that was never communicated to the players was that there was already this like contingency plan in place if they weren't ready. And so because the players didn't know about this and that wasn't communicated to them by management, Miller felt the need to go to the media and say, like, we are not ready to play. 
And apparently, like people from the NHL were looking at this going, did, didn't, what are they talking about? <laughs> like, wh- why are they making this, this a big deal? If they're not ready to play, we'll push it back uh, because there were already these plans in place. But that communication is so important. And, and I think with Benning, there just isn't a lot of communication. And part of that is he now has this smaller, much smaller front office where there's fewer people to do things. You know, you, you could have a person in the front office whose job is just to communicate to the players or like that could be their main job, but they don't have enough people. You know, Trevor Linden was a guy who was great at communication. Maybe he wasn't always saying something of substance, but he would say it well. (laughs) And so he would talk to the media. He would talk to Francesco Aquilini. He was the go-between between between the owner and management. He was this communication hub in, in a certain respect. And when he left and they didn't replace him, there's the communication issues, you know? So... I I do think communication is one of the biggest issues with Jim Benning and this management group. All right. One, one final question. What is your official stance on the fire Benning banner? Is it, (laughs) is it, you know, passionate fans who want to show their passion for the team through challenging times, or is it entitled fans who should be donating all their money to charity at all times? So, I, generally speaking, um, I have never called for anyone to be fired. I have never called for anyone to be traded. Yes. That's just not the something. Fi- that's I- the official Big J journalist way. <laughs> well, like even when we were just, you know, little B bloggers, uh, <laughs> that was one of the things we talked about is we never wanted to argue for someone to lose their job or to be like sent out of town. Like we, we talked about it and we made that like an official stance of Pasitabulis is that we were not going to do this because we'd seen other people do this. It's like, you know, when Dave Nonis was GM, a lot of people were calling for him to be fired. And we just went, no, we will provide criticism and we'll try to be honest with that criticism and we'll go, Hey, here are the reasons why this person is not doing a good job or why this person is not a great fit as if they're a player, they're not a great fit in this uh, role or whatever else it may be. We'll provide criticism. And if people from that criticism want to go, well, yeah, we should trade this guy or yeah, this guy should be fired. I mean, okay, that's not, I'm not saying it. I'm just providing, I'm just trying to provide the facts and the reasoning behind why someone is maybe not doing a great job. Uh, so when it comes to the fire bending banner, I mean, that's just fans got to get the message out somehow. If, if they want him to be fired, what are they supposed to do? You know, there's only so much you can do on Twitter with a, with a hashtag. Um, we saw in Ottawa, they had full, full blown billboards saying yeah. Melnick out <laughs> calling for Eugene Melnick to sell the team uh, or to be kicked out of ownership in some way. Um, and we see it in, in soccer leagues around the world, passionate fans taking to the streets or, or making these huge banners that they uh, fly during games to calling for ownership to be fired or management to be gone, coaches to be gone, players to be traded. Like Passionate fans are going to ha- get their message out somehow. And at the end of Mike Gillis's regime as GM, Players were, uh, sorry, fans were in the stands chanting, fire Gillis, fire Gillis, fire Gillis. There were people who made signs who were like, were outside of the that. arena. Yeah. Like, and you know, I liked Mike Gillis as a GM. I thought he was a very good GM. 
you know, so sue me. But, you know, when fans were frustrated, they let their frustrations be known. Right now, fans are not in the arena. They can't gather together in groups to to protest. How are they supposed to, like, like they can't be in the, the arena chanting, fire banning, fire banning. And I guarantee you, if fans were in the building, you would hear those chants. You absolutely would hear those yeah. chants. And people would make the same argument. They'd say, oh, why are you wasting your money on going to a Canucks game just to chant fire banning? Well, you know, it's the same thing. They, instead of spending money on a Canucks game to go there and chant, they spent money on on an airplane banner to fly it over Vancouver and and make a big fuss. Who cares? You know, like yeah. it's it's their money. Don't get on their case. They still even raised money for charity in the process. I mean, if you're going to argue that they should have given that money to charity, there's dozens of frivolous things that people spend money on every single day. And that money probably should go to charity instead. But, you know, especially during a, a COVID outbreak where people are looking for whatever little joys they can in life, <laughs> let them have some fun with it. Yes. Let them enjoy themselves. <laughs> let people spend money on fr frivolous things every now and then. And instead of depending on charity to solve problems, fix the systemic issues and then we can get into politics, but we won't. I <laughs> Absolutely, very well said. Look, I, I'm I'm a soccer fan myself. There's Pete. There's Manchester United fans right now burning the American flag because they <laughs> tried to join the European Super League. Okay, like this fire bending banner is is in the grand scheme of things not really that bad. Like you should, if you got some spare time, go look up what some of these Italian ultra groups say to their team when they lose a big game. It's they don't pull any, they don't spare any punches. Like they, 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 uh, they let them know what they feel. And look to me, it's also, you mentioned it. It's the passion of fans. Like can good on these fans who still have the passion to spend money and organize a fire bending banner, considering there hasn't really been much to cheer about over these past However many seasons with Jim Benning, uh, the record's there for for it to speak for itself. Two playoff appearances, one because of COVID. And you, just you have want, like, you want that passion, right? Yeah, you, don't you want, want people if, to just yeah. be checked out. Why like you'd rather have people be passionate about the team and calling for a guy to be fired than completely checked out and not paying any attention to the Canucks at all. Because you know what happened during the Keenan Messier years? Fans left. They stopped cheering for the team. They stopped paying any attention at all. And they didn't come back until the West Coast Express. You know, so you don't want fans to check out and not be paying any attention. You want them to be passionate, even if they're passionate in what you may perceive as negative ways. Yeah, absolutely. Again, very, very well said. Daniel, thank you so much for joining the podcast. And uh, hopefully we can have you on again sometime. This has been, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Well worth the wait, in my opinion. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd love to come back. All right. Thank you to Daniel Wagner for hopping on the podcast. A great conversation. Much appreciated. One, one of the better interviews we've done, I feel, uh, on this podcast. I firmly believe that. It's, it's not too early to say that. Uh, okay. We, we're going to end the show with what I think is the ultimate goal for the Vancouver Canucks, what I would consider a successful season, barring not making the playoffs because, again, it's a difficult situation that they've been put in by the National Hockey League. There is a four-game stretch to end the season against the Calgary Flames. If those four games 
mean anything, have any sort of playoff implications, that would be a huge achievement for this group, for this hockey team. I think a lot of people, including myself, when the revised schedule came out, saw those four games to end the season against the Calgary Flames and said, man, those are going to make exhibition games look like Stanley Cup Finals. We're going to see Archer Silovs in goal for the Vancouver Canucks, and with his Demko injury, we can still see him now, but we're going to see Archer Silovs in net. Everyone give 20%, and it's going to be brutal hockey to watch. But credit to the Vancouver Canucks for beating the Leafs and winning three or four to start their restart. Credit to the Montreal Canadiens for choking away any sort of advantage they had. Those four games, yes, is more of a possibility they still are the 20% exhibition games that we've been talking about on this podcast, but there's still a chance those four games against the Calgary Flames could mean something could have serious playoff implications for both teams. And if they do, if it gets to that point, that would be a great achievement for this team considering everything, everything they've been through. And now we, we just talked about it with Daniel Wagner. We don't want the Canucks to be their inspiration porn, as he called it. But I still think it would be a, it would be a solid achievement for this team for those four games to mean something. And it would t- it's going to take, you know, a lot of hard work. It's going to take their goaltenders to steal games for this team because, hey, you, we're gonna this is uh this is going out in the future. But that second period against the Ottawa Senators, two shifts where the Sens are just circling the puck in the offensive zone, and the Canucks are like dead, dead tired, absolutely gassed. Those are the type of games, those are the type of situations you need your goaltender to hold you in it. And if they can have that, then they have a chance for those four games against Calgary to be meaningful. Again, I'm not looking for the Vancouver Canucks to make the playoffs. That will not define a successful season the rest of the way. It will be those four games against the Calgary Flames to end the season in mid-May actually have some significance. Anyways, that is today's episode of Power of the Towel, part of the Next Misconduct Network of Podcasts. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Make sure to subscribe to the network wherever you get podcasts. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world to us and allow us to create some more high-quality audio programming about Vancouver's hockey team. Once again, this is Power of the Towel, part the next misconduct network of podcasts. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Thank you for listening.